Hey, thanks so much for listening to the V1 Church Podcast. We're coming straight out of New York, and this is Mike Signorelli, the lead pastor. Listen, you've got questions, and God has answers, but sometimes He gives you a response instead. So no matter what you're dealing with, whether it's chaos or confusion, this message is going to help you break through. You know, there's a lot of things that we do that the first time you did it, it wasn't enjoyable. And sometimes people are so averse to new experiences. But the reality is most of the doubt and the things that we struggle with um, from a sociological perspective is just simply our peers, whether they accept it or not. So the strongest thing that you can do is represent V1 Church if V1 Church is your home, because they're taking cues from you to say, does my friend think that this is great? And that has more power in their life than anything else, because we're talking about decoding uh, atheism. We're talking about decoding doubt. We're trying to debunk it. And do you know that most doubt that people have is not intellectual doubt? It's societal doubt. It's them seeing all the doubt in their friends around them and saying, because they feel this way, I feel this way too. But in the same way, you can draw confidence from each other. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience. You have a friend and you say, because they believe, I believe too. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? Can we be that kind of church for each other? That when you look down the aisle and say, because they're here, I'm here. Because they believe, I believe. Draw from my strength. So we're going to jump into, I've got a question for you today while you're getting your notes ready. Uh, The question I have is, are you afraid of the dark? Are you afraid? Throwback. You remember that? 90s kids represent. (laughs) Um, But that show was the bomb. That show, my mom definitely told me that show was demonic. She still says, she literally yelling, yes, take it off the screen. (laughs) Are you afraid of the dark? You know, darkness, the reason why my mom thought it was demonic (laughs) is darkness represents the unknown. Darkness represents confusion. Darkness represents lack of visual, lack of sight. Isn't it funny how the same place in the light is a different place in the dark? You know what I'm saying? You ever been in a house and it was the first, you moved in and it's your first time there and you only seen it during the day and then all of a sudden nighttime comes and you're like, you hear the distant voice, wah, ha, ha, ha. And it, you moved into Amityville. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't. But darkness represents the unknown. And I'm just going to tell you a little wisdom about life is the daytime doesn't last all time. Darkness is coming. You know what I'm saying? Darkness is coming. And so we're not talking about physical darkness today. We're talking about spiritual darkness. We're talking about the darkness of ignorance and lack of knowledge, the darkness of those times where you're like, I've never got this far in a relationship. I'm on my fourth date. What do I do now? You know, I talk to people and it's like, you get to the fourth date. You're like, we probably should propose right now because I never got this far before because everyone's a loser nowadays. Can I get an amen from the single people in the house? I had to start V1 College just so I can start manufacturing some mates for you because everyone's so low level nowadays. You know what I'm saying? Hey, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. I'm trying. I'm trying. They're in a test tube right now, but they'll be ready soon. 
But people get to the fourth day and they get into darkness. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to go beyond that. Some people, they get into the fifth year of their marriage. How many of you know that statistically three out of four marriages won't survive past the fifth year? People are, I meet with people who say, my mom and dad were never married this long. My grandparents weren't married this long. Everyone knows how to have sex. Nobody knows how to be faithful. Stay married. Come on. Darkness is coming. And you will find yourself in a situation where nobody you know has gotten to where you're at or where you want to go. Do you like my flow? <laughs> Drop a beat, Nick. Let's do it. <laughs> Talking about darkness today. Now, I'm going to read to you Psalm 57. And I'm going to read it in its entirety. And before I give you my personal revelation that I feel that the Lord gave me to give you today, I would just hope that you reading scripture would be the most powerful part of this service. Because if that can be the case, then I know on Monday you'll be all right. Because I can't sit next to you in the car and preach to you so that you can stay saved on Monday. But you can read the Bible out loud. Somebody said, oh, I can teach you how to read the Bible so that you can take that with you through every season and every situation. So I'm going to read Psalm 57 in its entirety right now. And I'm just telling you at this church, we have a hard time staying quiet. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I haven't been to heaven yet, but I would imagine it's noisy. Yeah. The accounts that now there's got to be some quiet places for the introverts like me, but it's okay to celebrate during the reading of the word because it's still good and hasn't lost its power. So Psalm 57, you ready? Be merciful to me, O God. Now, when I'm reading this right now, I want you to see if you get any revelation out of it yourself because what should happen is the Bible is the only book that when you read, it's a true dialogue. And so you should hear God speaking to you. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you, my soul takes refuge in the shadow of your wings. I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purposes for me. Who I like that. Don't you like it when he does something for you? See, sometimes you all think that if it's going to get done, you have to do it for yourself because that's how your life is. But welcome to relationship with God where he does it for you sometimes. I could preach this whole thing. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amidst fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are, are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords blogging about me in their mom's basement. That's my own. <laughs> I wish it was a lie. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth, including Long Island, including New York, Arizona, and Ushkarad, Ukraine. And it says, they, are, they set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. How you like my God now? My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory. Awake my harp and Chris Wrigley's Gretsch guitar playing with some reverb and delay on a Sunday morning. I will awaken the dawn. 
I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth. And V1 Church said, Amen. Amen. Come on. Now, you want to know what's so convicting? Can I tell you where the author was when he wrote that? Now, you are all encouraged. Were you encouraged? Wave to me if you were encouraged. Okay, David wrote this song when he was in a dark cave. The leader who was supposed to promote him into the next level of his life, into kingship over the nation of Israel, was at this point in the timeline of his life pursuing him to physically murder him when he wrote Psalm 57. Isn't it funny how he had the power to encourage you when himself needed the most encouragement? Isn't it funny that the true strength of a leader is to be able to pour out of an empty cup, to be able to give when you don't feel like there's anything left to give? Sometimes when I read Psalm 57, knowing that David was one in, the, one of the, in one of the darkest, most confusing times of his life, it convicts me because I say, well, God, I know why I wasn't David, because I wouldn't be writing Psalm 57. There'd be a lot more F words in that. <laughs> it just got a little too real. Or, or let me just tell you another thing. At what point when I read you Psalm 57 in its entirety, did you hear the name Saul? So wait a second, you can't have a conversation without mentioning the person who did you wrong by name. You haven't graduated yet. If you're still talking about the pastor who did you wrong, you haven't graduated yet. If you're still talking about the husband who left you by name, you still haven't graduated yet. There's a name above every other name. There's a name by which every other name may bow. It's possible to not even mention their name. It's possible to graduate putting someone else down to lift yourself up. It's possible. That's all I'm saying. I don't know that I could have wrote Psalm 57 because I love to talk about people sometimes. <laughs> but I'm coming up. Tell your neighbor, I'm coming up. Ask them, are you afraid of the dark? I'm going to give you guys the five lessons of the unknown. Ooh. The five lessons of the unknown. Now, number one is this, if you're taking notes, the unknown produces competition or collaboration. Some of you don't believe me. I got to break it down. There's one thing that I hate the most in life because I think that my time is valuable and I love to manage my time in such a way that when I stand before God, I'm like, God, look, I did my best. But when I get lost driving in traffic, I feel like I can windmill kick the, the steering wheel off, burst through the windshield, and flip the car in one motion. There's something about getting lost that brings the, the Hulk out of me. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And then what's worse about, you see, in Indiana, there's just one road, right? There's buggies and horses, and everyone's like, come on, let's go. And in New York, the way they designed it is there's another road every three degrees, <laughs> And then my GPS, I don't know about your GPS, but on my phone, when I have seven choices of roads, that's when the GPS loses its tracking. You know what I'm saying? 
It's almost like the ghost of Steve Jobs goes, <laughs> you know what would be funny? If it didn't work when they needed it. Because every single time I need, it's like I need, it never messes up when I'm on the five mile stretch. But when I get to the seven roads in the road, that's when the GPS is like, peace, I'm out. Then something even worse than that happens. I'm married, y'all. Pray for me. And my co-pilot, who has a master's in business, very highly intelligent woman, she always knows which way to go. But there's a problem with that. I'm supposed to always know which way to go. And in those moments, Julie says, you should take that road right there. And I'm like, I'm going to be a good husband right now and not listen to what you're saying. So I take my road. And when I take my road, then all of a sudden, the satellite spins around. They're probably ran by a whole team of females. That's what it is. <laughs> See, you don't want Psalm 57. You just want a comedy act. I'm about to preach you guys silly in five minutes. But all of a sudden, the satellite spins around, and then it beams down, and it says, Julie was right. And I'm sure it's just making it up. But here's my problem. When that moment happens... My pride riles up and it makes me even angrier. Now I'm not just angry that I'm lost. I'm angry that I'm lost and my wife knew where she was going and I didn't. I don't know why that's important to me because maybe my ancestors survived the Oregon Trail in real life and there's something in me that just needs to know I could do it if I had to. <laughs> Julie gets dysentery. You remember that game, Oregon Trail? So, but the point I'm trying to make is actually... When confronted with confusion, hear me. When confronted with confusion, I have an opportunity to compete with my wife or collaborate with her. Watch this. The Bible says the same thing. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge your wife sitting next to you who knows which way to go. Oh, no, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. You know she's going to put this on repeat at the house. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge your co-pilot, Jesus, who knows the right way. He's given you a free will and a steering wheel to take your life in whatever direction. But I bet you he will tell you which way to go if you listen. You can compete. You can collaborate. You ready for part two? Because see, David in this situation in Psalm 57 chose to collaborate with God. He took his affection and all the emotions he was experiencing in darkness and said, this confusion is going to drive me to collaborate with God. You ready? Number two, the unknown causes you to blame outwardly or to correct inwardly. The unknown, the unknown will cause you to blame outwardly or to correct inwardly. When we're faced with darkness, when we're faced with those times where we don't know what to do in life and we're all kinds of confused, we have to make a decision. Am I gonna blame everyone around me or am I gonna correct something inside of me that God is using this situation to solicit? You know, when I used to be a high school teacher, sometimes I would tell the kids, this is a 55-minute test. If you finish before 55 minutes, you may turn over your test and put your head down. But no matter what, you're not leaving. Sometimes in, through the sovereignty of God, we end up not in aptitude tests, but in these time tests, in these seasons where God knows, hey, I'm not doing this evil to you because I love you, but I know you're about to go through some things. And guess what? You're not coming out until time's up. You're not coming out till time's up. And in those moments where you're saying, why hasn't the season changed? 
Why am I still in this nighttime? Why am I still in the midnight hour? Why does it still look so confusing? God, I, I don't know what. And God's saying, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The problem is we're bad at telling time. And sometimes you're not at the end of the night. Sometimes you're in the beginning of it. Weeping may endure. Endurance, long-suffering, one of the fruits of the Spirit. And so sometimes he'll say, this is a time test, son, daughter. And it will cause you to keep blaming people outwardly or to look inwardly. You know, the definition of a cycle is blaming everyone else for the repeats. See, a cycle is when you can't look inwardly to own what you have to own. This is, let me show you what David did in Psalm 57, because it's getting real quiet in here. Some people are doing some soul search and I can hear it rattling. Now Saul, his evil leader, is pursuing him to kill him. Right? Right? What has David done wrong? Let me just ask you, seriously. In the time, so David kills a giant that none of these experienced generals in, the, in Israel's military will kill. He killed the giant. He's been faithful by his dad's sheep to watch them. He's done the grunt work. And now here he is. He played his harp before the king in such a way that it soothed the demonic spirit and caused a momentary deliverance to happen. All David has done is serve. And yet now David finds himself in the cave. What has David done wrong? There are some times where you're going to go through a dark season even though you haven't done anything wrong seriously now look how David talks though he could go outward or he can go inward look what he says what a champion's heart be merciful to me oh God be merciful to Saul that son of a no what does he say God be merciful to me for in you my soul takes refuge hey this ain't about Saul this is about me and you God this thing's about me. This ain't about my deadbeat husband. This is about me and you, God. I can't control his actions, but I can control my response. I'm going to stop reacting and start responding. Slow clap it in, church. Number three, crying in the dark makes you easy prey. Ooh, I like this crowd. <laughs> crying in the dark. <laughs> in the, here's another one. Open mouth crying in the shower. That's how you know it's bad. <laughs> you ever done that? You know you've done that. Come on, Nick's looking at me like he's never done it. We know you did that. <laughs> you ever done those cries? Crying in the dark alerts. One time I met my fam, my Julie, the first time I met my wife's family from Southern Illinois, this is my first impression. I don't even know who this dude was. Sir. You know how it's like, you don't even know who the uncle is because everyone's uncle. And you're like, how could you all be uncle? Somebody's genes are not right here. <laughs> this guy turns to me and he's like, have you ever predator hunted? And I was like, no, that sounds psycho. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> And he actually it begins to explain to me, well, it gets a little boring uh, hunting for ducks. So what if you hunt the stuff that hunts ducks? And I'm like, still not interested, bro. <laughs> but what he said was that you do what's called a wounded animal call. And that wounded animal call triggers this genetic thing, this instinctual desire in predators like bobcats and coyote to run up on what they think is a wounded, easy prey, and then you kill that thing before it kills you because when it shows up, it's just you. Doesn't that sound like fun? So if you ever wonder, like, what do they do in Southern Illinois? They kill predators before the predators kill them. Some of you are like, I'm from the hood. We do that too. <laughs> 
<laughs> too far? Psalm 57, y'all. <laughs> now I'm coming for you. Because when you cry in the wrong direction, you alert a predator to come take your life. Let me just teach you what it sounds like. Let me give you what, what crying in your nighttime season looks like. I know you've been my best friend forever. <laughs> I know you have just as many vices as me, and I know you never got anywhere in life either. <laughs> but I'm going through something, so can you help me like you helped yourself get nowhere? <laughs> That's how I hear it now. Hey, you're still dissatisfied with your life and hate your life and hate yourself. Can I tell you all my problems so you can teach me to hate your life, like my life, like I hate my life, like you hate yours? That's literally how I hear it. And here's a really bad place to cry, Facebook. The predators are alerted. Do you know that some people are waiting for you to reveal your weakness just so they can justify their own? They literally are waiting for you to re Do you know men, listen to me, men, there are women who are waiting for your marriage to hit the rocks so they can finally get with you. I'm just being real. They, they don't even want you to put a ring on it because that's not their game. They're waiting for you to post something. They notice you took down your wife's picture from your profile. Man, the devil ain't stupid. He played your great-grandparent that you never met and took them out of their destiny. You think he's not going to come for you? He ain't stupid. Here's the thing. Stop going to Instagram and crying in the direction of the DMs because you're alerting the predators to take you out. Sometimes we give up our own strategic information. You've given the generals of Satan's kingdom the whole map to your life to decimate every single area of it. Psalm 57 is David crying because let me just tell you, you are going to cry. And I don't care how tough you think you are. Life will put you in the fetal position and it'll happen half as fast here in New York when your rent's due. You are going to cry. If you start moving in the direction of the destiny that God has for your life, you will cry. So I'm not telling you don't cry. Can I teach you where to cry? Okay. <laughs> Let me just say this one. Somebody say, cry in your pillow. Let me show you some of your pillows. Here's one of them. You know I love you. Now, I don't have the time for all of you, though. <laughs> so I made more pastors. <laughs> and some of them are better at what they do than I am. So don't be offended when I send them to them, you to them. But guess what? You don't have a pastor if you won't let a pastor pastor you. Let me just say something because I'm mad right now. Don't be so consumeristic about your church experiences because you'll grow where you're rooted, not where you're watered. Mm, think on it. Water a plant without roots and it still dies. Go to a church to hear some good preaching because you like the atmosphere, but you don't give there, you don't serve there, you don't, you're not pastored there, you're still going to die spiritually. You grow where you're rooted not where you're watered. I can't be a pastor to you if you won't let me pastor you. If you make every decision in your life without seeking godly counsel, you don't have a pastor. We got like 10 of them in our church now. Go find one. Somebody say, cry in your pillow. 
Because see, when you start crying like this, I wonder if you could hear it through here. See, but this is not going to attract predators. This is safe. This is not safe. Let me give you another one. And I'm just going to say this because the church won't tell you this in America. But I'm going to tell you this. Cry in your pillow. Cry in your pillow. Some of you need to get a therapist. There are great therapists out there. Therapists who will love you. Therapists who will work with you. Therapists with a sliding scale, some of them. Therapists that will go the distance. Therapists who are anointed to do therapy. You know, sometimes freedom is instantaneous and sometimes it's a journey. In my life, I've come out of church services like this and I walked away free in an area and never got in bondage again. But there were some times where I was 17 sessions in with somebody and then the breakthrough happened. You ever dug up a root in real life? Sometimes you got to dig around that mother for a long time. <laughs> find yourself a therapist. We will help you find somebody at this church. Somebody say, cry in your pillow. I'm going to give you another pillow. Now, wait a second. You're like, but I can't find a therapist I like. And I'm so shy. It's hard to go to the pastors and tell them what I struggle with. Well, why don't you cry in your pillow? Why don't you cry in your pillow? Paper. Now, David cried on paper and it became Psalm 57. What would happen if you started crying on paper? What kind of songs would come out of you? What, what kind of revelation would come out of you? What if you got the next V1 devotional locked up inside of your tears, but you need to start crying on paper? This is too deep for somebody. Here's the last one. Here's my favorite one, because you know he's feeling left out. Why don't you learn how to cry into your pillow? <laughs> cry unto God. Cry unto God. You know how many times I've had to cry to God in my life, doubled over? I don't know what to do. I don't know which direction I'm going. It's dark. I'm in this cave. I'm confused. My pastor failed me. The people failed me. People I thought who were, were going to be a part of this thing forever have left me. God, I don't know what to do. It's safe to cry. Just make sure you're crying into your pillow. Let me give you the next one. Number four is this. Nighttime is a timeline. Somebody say that. Nighttime is a timeline. Now, we've got Halloween coming up. You'll see pirates in a costume. Can I tell you the real reason why a pirate wears an eye patch? It's not because they were in some fierce battle and lost their eye. It's actually because the longer you subject your eyes to dark, the more they acclimate to the darkness and give you access to more visuals. So when a pirate wore a patch over their eye, it was a strategic military move. They said, if this fight goes to the bottom of the ship where there's no lights, one of my eyes is already adjusted. I'm ready for fight. I'm ready for warfare. And see, what happens is we have to be the kind of people who are ready for darkness. We're anticipating darkness. We've got the patch spiritually over our eyes so that when the hard season comes, we say, we knew it was coming. I already have my arsenal. I got my therapist. I got my God. I got my paper. I know where to cry to. I'm ready for darkness, but I also know how to fight because my eye is acclimated. See, David, when he stood in front of the, the giant named Goliath, See, Israel had been going through a good time, a good season, the light time, the daytime. But then when this giant came up, even, even these, these big time generals didn't know what to do. They're like, we haven't trained for this. But David said, wait a second. I had my eye patch on in the spiritual realm. I'm ready for this. Because when the lion came 
and I was just trying to do business as usual watching the sheep. I knew how to take that line out. And when the bear came, I knew how to take. So surely God's going to help me take out this uncircumcised Philistine. Sometimes you got to keep your eye patch on so that when things get dark, you lift up the lid and you say, God, I'm ready. I've been waiting for this moment. I didn't expect New York to give me all of you. I prayed and fasted that you would show up in your seat. I showed up every single week when there was 10 people here until it continued. And I said, I'm stubborn. I expected the nighttime. I had my eye patch on. I didn't think the devil was going to give you up easy. But he hasn't met somebody as crazy as our crew yet. Whole bunch of pirates. Can I give you the last one? Are you getting something out of this? Psalm 57. Darkness changes an I won't to an I will. See, a lot of times when we go through darkness, it paralyzes us. When someone turns the lights off, you go, oh no, I don't know what's around. And every single noise is something else trying to kill you. Sometimes when you're in the darkness of that season in your life, you're like, everything is just so scary that you're afraid to breathe. As a kid, for some reason, I was so scared to go to sleep at night. The lights would turn off and I would have all kinds of crazy experiences and everything that happened was reinterpreted by my mind as some kind of crazy demonic experience. And I I remember being paralyzed. remember being paralyzed. But what happens is that It's supposed to change your I won't to I will. Let me read you what David said. David says, my heart is steadfast. Here's the reality. His heart wasn't steadfast. He was lying. Actually, he was scared. David was being pursued. David was full of anxiety. At this particular moment in the cave, see, here's the thing. If you don't understand faith, when people of faith start saying something opposite of what they feel, you're going to call them a liar. And God says, actually, you're co-creating destiny right now. You're speaking the things that aren't as though they are. And you're releasing another reality into manifestation, into existence. Because sometimes you have to say what you don't feel so you can say see what you don't feel and then you begin to feel what you didn't feel and so he said my heart is steadfast his heart was probably palpitating 200 beats per minute but he didn't say what he felt he said what he needed to feel until it began to be a reality because he was speaking faith taking an I won't to an I will look what he says I will make melody and sing a song You know, when you're in excruciating physical pain, the last thing you want to do is sing a song. But he was commanding himself to do the very thing that he needed to do most. And this is my favorite. I will awaken the dawn. Wait a second. Wait a second. David knew he didn't have the power to actually change night to light. He knew he didn't have the power to change the the revolutions of the earth and to expedite the process of the sun coming up. He knew he couldn't affect nature. So for him to say, I will awaken the dawn, what does that mean, pastor? I'll tell you. He said, if I can't change the darkness around me, I will awaken the dawn and change the light inside of me. If I can't change the conditions around me, I will awaken the dawn. And sometimes we're trying to get through darkness, but we're missing the assignment is that God called us to darkness. And it's not about what the darkness and confusion does to you. It's what you were destined to do to it. Oh, I'm sorry. You didn't get locked up in here with me. Come on now. Paul and Silas in a jail cell said, the worst place you can put me is right here with the prisoners. Because when we start singing our song that only pain can bring out, chains start falling. 
Paul and Silas said, oh, no, you don't understand. You th- you, y'all are locked up. I'm just here on assignment. And sometimes like, it's like stop complaining about your environment and start singing until some chains rattle off. God didn't send you through the darkness. He sent you to it. Let me just finish with this. You know, probably one of the biggest lessons that I've experienced in my life is what you do with chaos determines whether you become the legend that God has placed inside of you because the conditions are always changing. The factors and the variables and the numbers are always changing. We're always on sinking sand in this life. There's no guarantees of anything. And there's two types of people, the type of people who are terrified by that. And then there's these crazy wild ones who are like, whoa, I love it. I wouldn't take it any other way. Let me prove it to you. Have you ever seen a surfer before? See, here's what what I'm trying to explain to you. A surfer doesn't want predictability because predictability would be boring. Somebody who surfs doesn't want the same wave every time. They actually go out into the water. Yeah, the same water that drowns people, the same water that kills people. And you know what they say? They say, I'm so exhilarated by the opportunity to ride these waves. And I don't care what comes my way. I'm not going under this water. I'm going on top of this water. And I'm going to make something amazing happen in this moment. You know who else understands this? One of my favorites to ever play the game, Michael Jordan. Now, you, you didn't clap because y'all are from New York and we whooped you way back when. But listen, Michael Jordan, I'm a 90s era Bulls fan. Michael Jordan wanted the chaos. He wanted the confusion. He wanted the changing conditions because the harder it got, the more greatness it revealed was inside of him. And see, what we do, here's the equivalency to how we play the game. I know, I made this plan. We planned the whole play. And then I got out there and all these defenders kept trying to slap the ball out of my hand. And then they, I even got fouled. I couldn't believe they elbowed me in my wrist. <laughs> See, here's how Michael Jordan approached it. Oh, you're going to bring three defenders? Oh, I got a move the NBA hasn't even seen yet that I got to pull out of my toolbox and just rip this thing out. It's going to be on ESPN tomorrow. And what if you started looking at the confusion and the chaos of your life and said, oh, man, God, you just set me up for an all-star moment right now because I got moves in the spirit that they haven't even seen yet. I got things that I can do through you that I can't do any other way that's going to confound the wise. And what made Michael Jordan such a legend? Do you ever hear about, this is a revelation for somebody. There was a game, and this is like a famous game where he actually came down with the flu. And Michael Jordan's own body became his enemy. So not only did he have a physical condition, his own body was an enemy to him, but he has all these defenders that their only goal is to stop him from scoring. But in the midst of those conditions, Michael Jordan's greatness. See, when you put pressure on somebody who has greatness locked up inside of them, you will begin to see them do things and navigate that chaos in such a way that actually reveals what they really are. And see, Michael Jordan played one of the best games of his career with the flu, with his own body against him. Why do I say this? Don't miss it. Some of you are spending too much time talking to the coach on the bench than playing the game. 
You know, there's only so many timeouts in the game, and some of you are spending three-fourths of the game in a timeout trying to talk about the huddle and the strategy instead of going out there and executing in the chaos. We're called to ride the wave. We're called to execute. See, the thing about Michael Jordan was Michael Jordan said, y'all are play playing the game on the court. I'm about to play it in the air. He started dunking the ball, and he elevated the game in such a way that people had never seen. They called him Air Jordan. Some of you guys are fighting on the ground, and God wants you to teach people how to elevate the game in the supernatural realm. Take it up to the sky for once and say, I'm not fighting on the same level that you keep losing. I'm about to take it to the sky. Now, let me show you what I'm talking about. Let me break it down practical to close it out. This right here is a picture of what it looks like for chaos in my life and confusion in my life and the unknown. We reached a point where we filled up every auditorium in this movie theater. We had people driving all the way from Queens and the Lord laid it on my heart, launch your second church before two years. And I said, God, let's do it because I know your voice. And all of a sudden I begin to go on that journey. The team started to rise up with me to make it happen. And in the midst of this, my daughter falls and breaks her arm. So we take her actually to the hospital and then they do the x-rays and come back and they say, she's broken her arm in a spot that can't be casted. It's really rare that we see this, but since it can't be casted, you're gonna have to carry her around like a wounded bird everywhere you go with a sling. And so we went through that and we're like, man, and this was two weeks before we launched V1 Queens. And I took this picture and I said, hey, let's smile because this is sermon material. Because <laughs> anytime we go through something as a family, we see the end by faith before we see the end in reality. And we already know the outcome is good. So all of a sudden, well, let me just break it down. It kind of got a little crazier. Two weeks before we launched Queens, my wife, who had just months before been in Ukraine, started manifesting this, the symptoms of a virus that she probably got overseas. And it, it was a near deadly virus. The infectious disease doctor said that had she been in a different stage of life, it possibly could have killed her. And then that precipitates into her getting more and more sickness, you know, every cold, every flu, mono, everything. I mean, it was like decimating her body. Now, you could bring the house lights back up. Um, now, what happens is my wife is the co-lead of this church. She's a preaching machine, a leading machine, a singing machine. We had built the whole infrastructure of this church off of her capacity with my capacity. And two weeks before we launch our second location, I have one daughter with a broken arm and my wife is bedridden. And all of a sudden, Psalm 57 started stirring in my soul. And I said, wait a second, I know what to do in the cave. I know what to do in the dark places. And then I said, guess what? Those waves... See, like, let me show you the next picture. Here's what happened afterwards. I told my daughter, I said, Everly, those waves that caused your grandfather to go to drugs and alcohol and drowned him, those waves that caused that stress and anxiety and fear of the unknown, those waves that took out your other family members that you never met because they died before you came along because they chose the wrong road. Actually, your dad... 
He's learning how to surf those waves, and I'm going to teach you too. You're going to ride up on those waves and worship. You're going to awaken the dawn on the inside and begin to sing a song. Our family's going to learn how to worship our way through the darkness. Our family's going to learn how to prophesy our way through the darkness. And I begin to teach her at a young age, model her, hey, this same court that the other team lost, we're going to win a championship on this court. See, because greatness comes out on the inside out as it's solicited by the darkness around us. We're going to learn how to change an I won't to an I will. And I believe that my response to the chaos, my response to the darkness, the lessons that I learned, they changed her. They changed my children on a cellular level. I taught them how to surf where other people drowned. I taught them how to dunk where other people lost and went home. Now let me ask you a question. Will you let a Psalm 57 come out of you today? Will you let a Psalm 57 come out of you? Would you stand up to your feet? I'm going to pray for you because I believe that right now in this moment, God can do a thousand years of work if you just let him in, if you just receive him. So I'm going to pray over you believing that some of you are rising up in this season. See, we ask these questions. Sometimes we don't get the answers, but we get a response. And God's saying, I want you to learn how to surf the waves of chaos and confusion and darkness. I don't want you crying in such a way that solicits every predator in every direction of your life. I want you to change how you respond. Stop reacting and start responding. And the first thing that you do right now is you just respond to his voice. Because if he's calling you, maybe you say, well, that's great. Your story's great, but... I didn't have a Mike Signorelli to set up a podium and teach me these things. Well, let me just tell you, there's some things that run in your family. Maybe you are the generation where it runs out. Maybe you're the first. Maybe you're the first. Maybe you're the first. Can you imagine the first person who was crazy enough to mount up on a board and surf a wave? Everyone else who was too afraid to leave the shore was like probably flabbergasted, like, we never go that far out in the water. We're never crazy enough to do that. The first time somebody dunked a ball, they're like, we thought all you could do is a jump shot. And that person said, I got another arsenal. I want you to leave this movie theater saying, I've got something else. I've got Jesus. And because of Jesus, I can do something I've never seen done before. So I want to pray for you right now. And then if you want to continue to be prayed for, we have a team right back up at the top who will continue to pray for you and take this deeper. I want to meet you if you're a guest right out the exit. But let's just pray right now. I believe God's stirring up something in your heart. If, if you want to receive something from God right now in this moment, just open up your hands with your palms open in a posture of receiving. Father, I pray for every single person in this place right now. God, that they would step up into a Psalm 57 posture, that their words would begin to align. They would begin to speak the thing that even they don't feel it right now, but they would begin to prophesy a new season into their life, God. I pray that there would be some Davids that would rise up in our midst, some mighty men, mighty women of God who will begin to have that vision in the darkness, who are not just going through darkness, they're going to darkness to do all that you called them to do. And I thank you, Father, that today something is breaking off of somebody's life, some confusion 
confusion is being dispelled. They are going to ride the wave and walk into the next season confidently, commanding God the waves and doing what you called them to do. And I thank you, Father, for all this in Jesus' name. Church, if you receive it, just shout amen. Hey, this is Pastor Mike here again, and I am believing that your life has been forever changed as a result of this message. I believe that you move from chaos to clarity. The best thing that you can do right now is to invest this message in the life of one of your friends. Go ahead and share it. Give us five stars. Rate this podcast. Leave a comment. And most importantly, visit us online at v1.church, where we have so many resources to help you. We'll see you next week.